Hello everyone, I'm Deborah Germain Augustine, New Narratives Membership Engagement Manager. For more than a month, Malaysian authorities detained Nigerian national Simon Momo even after he had paid a fine and served his one-day jail term for a drink-driving offence. Although a court has since ruled that Malaysia's immigration department had unlawfully detained Simon, his detention and the threat of deportation brought to light the many challenges foreign spouses and transnational families face in the country. On today's episode, I speak to Bina Ramanad, founding member of Family Frontiers and co-founder of the Foreign Spouses Support Group, and Naz, a Malaysian in a transnational marriage, to share their experience and to talk about the existing policies in place that affect these families. If you enjoy what we're doing, please do support our work by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com join. Memberships start at just 52 US dollars a year. That's just one US dollar a week. Or you can donate at newnarrative.com slash donate. And check out our website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. And now, here's the interview. So hello and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. How are you both doing today? Hey, good. I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing good too. Thank you for inviting us here. Yeah, let's just get started. So, Bina, for listeners outside Malaysia, can you give us a brief background on what happened with Simon Momo's case? Okay. So, uh, Simon Momo is a Nigerian spouse of uh, Malaysian, uh, and he is the father of two Malaysian children. His wife, Lokawi, and him were married, um, I think, sometime in 2013. But Simon Momo has been a resident of Malaysia since 2009. So he even studied uh, here in university. Uh, He was stopped at a roadblock and was charged with drink driving. However, despite paying the fine of 12,000 ringgit and serving a one-day symbolic jail, jail sentence, he was being detained and his family and legal counsel had no access to him for a month. Simon was then considered to be a prohibited immigrant over his one-day jail sentence for drink driving, an offence that he had paid and served. And he was now considered as a person liable to be deported. And the immigration authorities on 9th April cancelled his spouse visa, which was valid until October 2022, and issued a deportation order dated 12th April. Uh, So the final hearing came up on 23rd April and the judge ruled that the immigration department had unlawfully detained Simon and that his detention was in breach of the federal constitution and the Immigration Act. So he ordered that Simon be released as soon as practical. But Simon was released uh, on the same day. Uh, He's at home now with his family. Now, Simon is a stay-at-home dad, and that's primarily due to the fact that his visa, the visa of spouses has a statement prohibiting them from employment, uh, which also makes it uh, challenging to secure jobs. So he was the primary carer for his daughters, who were deeply missing the presence of their father. And the process if the, uh, the potential deportation takes place. It will separate the family. It will break up this little family. It will impact their emotional well-being. And the legal process has inflicted severe financial hardship as well. 
and Kafi is the sole income earner with the burden of childcare if Simon is going to be deported. So it's a very precarious situation for the family, for the wife, and it is really not in the best interest of the children. Thanks for that background. And I think we would like to get into some of those specifics like the ability to work and um, you know, the, the precarity that transnational families find themselves in. But this is uh, not a, an exception in that there are many transnational families in Malaysia. Um, and Bina, as one of the founding members of Family Frontiers, you are very familiar with the issues faced by transnational families. So your organization was one of the loudest advocates for Simon. Can you tell us a little bit more about Family Frontiers and the work that you do? So Family Frontiers works on advancing, strengthening and promoting the family unity and development. And it also to ensure that no family is left behind. Much of our work is on Malaysians and binational families. So it is Malaysians who are married to foreign spouses. So largely this work has started, I think, sometime even um, in uh, as early as 2007. Uh, and primarily it was because myself and another spouse, Asha, were um, uh, having a difficult time raising up our children in Malaysia. Our Malaysian children who are, and we are as foreigners, their mothers had a lot of challenges, day-to-day -day challenges. So uh, the work started around 2007. Um, it's And it's now... Uh, what, 13 years, 14 years since we've started the work uh, on uh, foreign spouses. And uh, five years ago, we also started the work on the citizenship of children born to Malaysian mothers who had difficulties in um, getting citizenship for children who were born overseas. And the struggle was when these mothers faced toxic marriages and needed to come back home, they had great difficulties in raising up uh, non-citizen children in this country. So it was the opposite. So one was the issue of, uh, you know, foreign mothers who had difficulties in raising up their Malaysian children. On the other side, you had Malaysian mothers who were returning back from toxic marriages and had difficulties in raising up their non-citizen children. And primarily, why was this? Is because the inability of Malaysian mothers to, um, to obtain citizenship for their children born overseas. It's a matter of geography. That's it. Because those children were born overseas. If that same mother delivered her child here in Malaysia, that child would have citizenship. Right. And could you maybe go into a bit more detail about what are some of the challenges that you have faced as a foreign mother in Malaysia and maybe generally what a foreign spouse may face when trying to raise children in Malaysia? So if your marriage is lasting, if you're in a good marriage, then it's fine. But sometimes the difficulty will come when the marriage is estranged. And then it becomes difficult because you are like dependent on your Malaysian spouse, right? And you are bringing in Malaysian, I mean, you're bringing up children who are Malaysians. You need to work. You're dependent on, for your work, for your visas, your legal status in this country on the Malaysian spouse. So that makes it difficult. In most other countries, say within five years, you would get your PR. And five years is a long time, bear in mind. 
but you would get uh, a PR and then you would have independent status and you would be able to, uh, to bring up your children, work. Whereas now you're dependent, you have to get a letter of permission from your husband to be able to work in the country. Yeah, it's a very precarious situation if your marriage is not good. And it's also a precarious situation when your uh, Malaysian husband, say, is traveling. He's overseas on a project. I had difficulties admitting my child into hospital because I had not remembered to take the birth certificate of my child and she was asthmatic and having breathing problems. So that's when I realized, you know, it's not a good situation to be in. I'm here 30 years now. And... It's half a lifetime, okay? And we still have issues of dependency. I've got a PR, but it is being dependent on your Malaysian spouse for a lot of things like ownership of property becomes difficult. Um, for those on a spouse visa, opening a bank account was really very difficult. Um, until now, it's the same situation for spouses. So yes, thank you, Bina, for sharing all those different challenges. So it seems very multifaceted. Um, Naz, you yourself are also in a transnational marriage. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the challenges your family have experienced? Uh, yes. Uh, so I'm Naz, Malaysian, uh, married to a foreigner from Pakistan. And we've been married for seven years um, but we live abroad for about five years and just returned to Malaysia end of 2019. Yeah, so that's when all this nightmare started, to be honest, because once we came back, I had to find a job first because in order for me to start uh, processing the spouse visa for my partner, uh, I have to be working and be able to show uh, that I have a, a three-month pay slips and the salary have to be more than 2,000 ringgit, right? So it takes some time for us to process it. And like what Bina said just now, like all the challenges that uh, people are facing, you know, um, it's not easy to apply for the spouse visa. Like even now when I talk about uh, immigration or the thought about having to go to immigration again for the renewal, it's really traumatizing, you know, because of the experiences that we face. Like when we wanted to apply for the first time application for the spouse visa, uh, they told me that uh, my partner had to return because when we came back in 2019, uh, he uh, applied to study Malay in in a, in a college and because of that, he acquired the student visa. So we thought, okay, that will give us some time because I have to show certain months of uh, employment before we can apply for the spouse visa. And we thought that, okay, and, and this is before MCO, right? And we thought, okay, even if we have to uh, then transfer the student visa to a spouse visa and we have to leave the country, it shouldn't be a problem because we don't know if this COVID thing is going to happen and everything. So then what happened was when we 
then COVID happened and uh, he had to extend his student visa. Uh, so he had like a one-year student visa and after that when we wanted to apply for the spouse visa, uh, they said no, you can't apply for the spouse visa. He's going to have to leave the country and then return. And we were like, how is he going to leave the country now during the pandemic? You know, it doesn't make sense. And I was told that at the immigration, like right on my face, they were saying that, oh, if you are a man, we would be more lenient. We would, because we would prioritize the the male, Malaysian male. But because you are a woman married to a foreigner, then why don't you just go and follow your husband? That was like, and I was really shocked, but I was, you know, trying to be calm and not throw a fuss because I know that, you know, I'm, they have, they are in the position of power here, you know, and I'm, I need, I cannot like throw a fit and then they would just, you know, discriminate me further already I'd be discriminated because I'm a Malaysian woman married to a foreigner so it, it was really very difficult and then I checked with my family frontiers uh, friends you know and other friends and everything and then uh, Bina told me like no like make sure that uh, don't leave don't ever let uh, my partner leave and everything and make sure that you appeal you know so that's what we did. I appealed um, and then thank God my, you know, my cases was, yeah, listened to or something. I don't know, you know, because not many people know about this appeal thing. I was also sharing with like Bina and my other friends as well, like how my immigration process in the other country that I was living with was much easier than this immigration process that I had to go through with my partner in my own country. Right. Uh, Naz, you raised the gender aspect that you were told directly by the immigration officer that if you were a Malaysian man, this would be easier and they would have probably allowed you to stay in the country with your foreign spouse um, Bina, do you find that d- gender of the Malaysian person applying for a visa plays a role in how easy it is to navigate the immigration system? Yeah, definitely gender does play a role. So the husband of a Malaysian wife has to face a lot more bureaucratic processes and he has a longer wait for the visa. So what happens is I think uh, after your marriage for six months, um, a foreign husband does not get a visa. So it means that he has to leave for his home country. And we are talking here of someone who's in Brazil or, you know, who is probably in Ghana and they have to buy a ticket that costs some four, five, six thousand and you don't even have direct flights, you know, and then they go there and uh, come back. Why should they be like that? And then who wants to be separated from your spouse in the first six months of your marriage? Who's making these rules, really? You know, and uh, the second part of it is after coming back, the first six months, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Nas, because the yeah. rules keep changing so often that they cannot work. 
So that yeah, means effectively for one year, yeah. he's without a job, dependent on his Malaysian wife. Correct. So, and, uh, yeah, correct. It, that's that's how it is. That even when my partner receive his spouse visa, right, for six this six months, it says that, that you are not allowed to work, you know? So... And I, I'm not sure how after six months would they you have to make a separate application yes, yes. for permit to work. It doesn't come automatically with your renewal, you know. Yeah. So that 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 uh, prohibition statement remains till you get your permanent residence, or if you get a residence pass, whatever yeah. it is. But you know, for the longest of times, you have a visa that states. Uh, prohibited from all forms of employment and you are you know the co-parent you are going to you have a spouse you want to take care of the well-being of the spouse how can you get employed uh, if, uh, you know be gainfully employed with a statement like that in your passport of course there are spouses who can get jobs but there are also spouses who cannot yeah. and yeah yeah so certainly legally it seems like there's a lot that is discouraging Malaysians from marrying foreigners. And Naz, with Simon's case, there was a lot of outrage and anxiety on social media over his situation with the threat of deportation and separation from his family in Malaysia. You know, as someone in a transnational marriage yourself, how did you and your partner feel as you saw that case unfolding? We, we To be honest, we were so disturbed. We were so disturbed, you know. Because it's like a reminder that um, as a foreigner, as a foreign spouse for my partner, you cannot make any mistake in this country, man. You know, I mean like, yeah, I mean what Simon did was not right. Lah. Drunk driving was not right, right? Fair. But he did pay his uh, penalty. He served that one day jail. But still on top of that, he's still being detained, you know, for the fact that he's a foreigner. So we 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 were like it was really disturbing, you know, and I was so scared. Also, you know, sometimes I feel like okay, if my partner uh, just drove the car by himself just to go to the the corner shop or something to buy bread or whatever, you know, anything can happen from the house to the Seven Eleven. You know, police could stop in the middle, even though he has his paperwork and everything, but. You know, if the conversation goes out, goes wrong way, he could be penalized because of that. You know, they could find anything. So you don't really feel safe, you know. And bear in mind that Simon had a valid visa. Yeah. Okay? Exactly. And right now, during this pandemic time, many of the spouses could not get an appointment at immigration because they're all booked for three months down the line. And... The first thing I said, oh, maybe Simon does not have a visa, valid visa, because, you know, they don't have uh, appointments are really difficult to get. We are asking people to uh, actually to uh, go online at 12.05 midnight so that they can seek, secure one booking three months down the line, because every day they open up one day or something like that. Right. It's so difficult. And bearing that in mind, that it's difficult to get an appointment to access immigration services and suddenly you know you realize that even with a valid visa any at any point of time your visa can get stripped you know? yeah because the immigration have such the i mean 
discretionary power oh, on okay. this, you know. It's not like there is a standard uh, kind of guidelines. guideline that, okay, if this happened, that if A happened, B will happen. If not, then C or something. No, you know, it's discretionary. How they feel, how they think, you know, how they perceive the case, how they perceive the person who committed the crime or so, you know. So all these things. So we are not clear. And it's when you when there's no certainty, it's like really scary, right? Because anything can happen. And so it, there's a couple of terms that are being used. So what's the difference between a long-term social visit pass and a spousal visa? Actually, spousal we use visa it. is the same. Long-term social visit pass is spouse visa. It's used interchangeably. Uh, the long-term social visit pass, basically, because all of our spouses have the many of the spouses have those visas, so they call yeah. it the spouse visa. But basically, it's uh, in short form. They say LTSVP, which is the long-term social visit pass. It kind of looks sounds funny, you know, because you're a spouse of a Malaysian, and the term is social visit pass. Right. But basically, yeah. you're the spouse of a Malaysian. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and PR permanent residence is. After you are living in the country for five years on the long-term social visit pass, you're eligible to apply for permanent residence. And well, the approval process takes many, 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 many years and may ultimately come with a rejection um, without any reasons given. And you will be asked to, you can, yeah, of late they are asking them to accept a residence pass. A uh, residence pass is a 10-year visa, which can be renewed after five years. But the good thing is it has the right to work. Right. So the difference being that on a long-term social visit pass or spousal visa, as it's sometimes called, you have barriers to work, whereas a permanent residence um, allows you to work. Correct. And um, so, you know, um, one thing people with long-term social visit passes face is that foreign spouses have to rely on a Malaysian spouse to be physically present every time they renew their long-term social visit pass. So this can be problematic for a few reasons. For one, you know, and the, the issue of dependency has come up, you know, it creates the situation of dependency and vulnerability. Uh, can you talk about how this requirement can affect transnational families in the long term? Yeah, so that's why it's good to have independent status for the for the spouses, you know, not immediately because I know it's, you know, always this sh the thing about the sham marriage will come in, but in, in a reasonable uh, period of time. So some countries after two years, they allow you to get PR. In some countries, it's five years. Yeah. So they, you can ha make something reasonable so that spouses are able to have that independent status and, uh, uh, you know, and also allow them to work and take care of their family. Um, you know, not all families, you know, go, not all marriages are smooth. So sometimes it also ends in divorce or separation. But at the same time, bear in mind there are children involved in the with those families uh, and in the best interest of the child therefore the you know the father has to remain in the country or the mother has to remain in the country so that the child has access to both parents and usually that should be the case it is not happening and that needs to be put in place as well or for instance if a person is without a child and we've had many cases that the woman after 40 years 
of living in the country and a husband passes away is asked to leave the country if there's no um, uh, no permanent residence you know so that makes it very difficult because after 40 years there's no there's no support system back in your home country this is the place where you have lived and your support systems exist here and this kind of dependency is a lot riskier for for victims of domestic violence especially if that person is the foreign partner do you find that this is a common problem have you seen cases like this definitely yes. definitely there have been a lot of yeah. cases there's uh, a lot of cases so sometimes uh, for abuse cases we because we don't have the resources as yet so we have to actually refer them to um, other ngos to, for their wellbeing so if they need a shelter it's available but we, we don't have those facilities we have to refer them to other ngos yeah and is it does does the problem of then having to leave arise um if if a mother is or father is uh, is a victim of domestic violence definitely there uh, yeah you answer yeah because of the dependency problem right that how the foreign spouse is legally dependent on the malaysian spouse okay so in the cases of in in situation of domestic violence then sometimes the foreign spouse they may be in that relationship and they stay in the abusive relationship because one day their family is not here they don't know where they can go but the most important thing is also because of their legal status and they know that if they leave then they can't renew the spouse visa and they may lose their children if they have to leave right because their children are malaysian or even if they leave in the country leaving the house then they can't meet their children because the Malaysian spouse obviously have more legal standing than them being a foreigner so it does affect uh foreign spouse yeah right. yes yes uh, definitely uh, you know a lot of some of the women actually get uh, because your husband has to be present to renew the pass and yeah. if you if you're separated you must have full custody of your children not many of them because some of them remember because of that it could uh, the dependency that you had needed your husband's permission to work then you have to uh, and they've not been able to secure the permission to work they are house they are you know homemakers uh, suddenly they they cannot have the full custody of the child because the husband is taking care of the financials so it's joint custody and yet in some cases they are asked to leave the country so that makes it very problematic so the best interest of the child has to be taken into consideration um, this is uh, this is a work in progress for us yeah you know you mentioned as that nationality can be a problem right the nationality of the foreign spouse can maybe create barriers to obtaining a, a long term social visit pass and residency and so you know bina african and chinese nationals are required to apply for and renew their visas in the federal capital of putrajaya and not in maybe more conveniently located state offices and your organization um the foreign spouses support group has expressed concerns about the potential for discrimination with this requirement uh, can you talk a little more about that uh yes so uh, even in normal circumstances and let's talk pre covid days if a, if the woman is pregnant i mean whether it's a malaysian woman or the foreign uh wife 
either of them are pregnant, I mean, if they are pregnant, you have to come all the way to Putrajaya for, to renew your spouse's parts if they are either Nigerian or from China, right? So it could be from Penang, you have to come all the way here. Um, a lot of times everything will go well in that one trip, you can get it done. But many times there's some extra paperwork that is required, which means it will need an extra trip. So you'll have to organize your leave, your wife has to be in good condition to be able to come here. So especially during your childbearing years, I think it can be very traumatic. And uh, more so during the movement control order, of course, the government did consider it at that time. Uh, they gave a leeway for certain period of time. Uh, you don't need to, you know, you could uh, stay with the past that was expired because even immigration was closed. But then suddenly you come up with this thing like this April 21st, they said all those with spouse visas need to have a special pass. And it was traumatic. We, you know, we kept getting inquiries after inquiries, what should we do? And we ourselves, you know, because there's no clear uh, announcements on that for spouses. If you're in Putrajaya, how do you come from Penang to Putrajaya to, uh, you know, to renew your past? Yeah. Difficulties that they face and these kind of difficulties can be uh, ironed out. It's not something that's impossible because we saw during the movement control order, they, they brought in even for the, they digitalized the approvals for those people who wanted to uh, enter the country, you know, the, those who needed uh, approvals for the to enter the country. And that made it very much easier for uh, spouses to uh, apply for a which would also tell them whether they were approved or they were rejected and they gave proper reasons for rejection. But that's also, you know, we did lobby and campaign for that as well. So why is there a different requirement for both Chinese and African nationals? I think it was perceived that uh, they required more scrutiny um, because this issue about... Uh, I'm sorry, this is the perception that was there uh, and that's why it came about that they needed they needed to come to Putrajaya for their approvals, and it was not given in the state departments. Yeah. Right. So basically, they perceived I think Chinese women as coming in as mistresses, and allegedly as mistresses. So, yeah. Uh, which is not true because there are also many of them who are highly educated, uh, you know, back in the late 90s, many because China was booming. Many people went to China to actually to work and got married. I personally know many of them who got married. Uh, many of them even went to study and got married and came back with Chinese nationals. But I think initially this was the per perception, those who come. And this was something that we tried to overcome as well, because, you know, there used to be these uh, articles in the paper, uh, so many men caught with China dolls. I said, what is China dolls? No. Uh, you know, there are many of them who are very well educated and they are living here in the country as spouses, legitimate spouses of Malaysians. But I, I think because of that, they had this rule come in. And that this rule has been here for many years now. I think that's a reason why there is a necessity to reform the laws. A look at it to be uh, the laws to be reformed, to be made more family friendly, more um, you know, more current to accommodate people who are working overseas, people who are working on projects, you know, and see how we can come to a win-win situation. There are um, 
150,000 spouse visas that are being issued annually. I think there should be another 30, 40,000 of them who would, you know, who are there in the country uh, or who are, uh, you know, working overseas and need to come and see their families who are here. Uh, in every which way, the country does benefit by having um, you know, trans, uh, binational families in Malaysia. Sometimes they can have money coming in from overseas. So uh, make the best use of it and make the make the policies also reflect a modern country. Yeah, and as you mentioned, you know, there is this sort of perception of threat. So Charles Santiago, a member of parliament, was quoted in January saying that the Malaysian government perceives foreign spouses as a security threat rather than assets to the country. What do you think is at the root of this attitude? Uh, yeah, so uh, basically it could be that, uh, you know, again, the sham marriages and I think uh, what happens is uh, immigration, home ministry, national security council, uh, they think if there's an easier route for spouses, then floodgates will open, you know? Um, so th that's, uh, I, that's the perception, I guess, because also that uh, Malaysia is a country where there are a lot of people coming in uh, as foreigners and and uh, that's why they uh, they have these difficult um, bureaucratic processes. But I think uh, in the interest of family, um, they should really review it, especially for those like you saw Nas, who's married seven years, uh, make them more, make policies more family friendly. Floodgates don't open after seven years of marriage. Yeah. And how does Malaysia's policies toward foreign spouses compare to other countries in the region? Uh, it depends. Like country to country, they have uh, they have different uh, policies. Some of them uh, do get uh, PR in two in two years' time. Some get, like I said, get PR uh, maybe uh, in about five years' time. Uh, that being said, uh, you know, always the interest of the family. Uh, is should be looked into. Yeah, the that's the basic uh, thing is that they have to spouses should be treated more humanely. Uh, yeah, and and is there a country in Southeast Asia maybe that is has more humane uh, policies around foreign spouses and transnational families? Do you know? They, they have they have they look at it differently. Again, depends. Some countries look at it differently. Uh, I think so. Singapore does not allow marriage to migrant workers, so um, that gets reflected, you know, across other countries as well. I think Malaysia as well. So they, that's why they make it difficult for migrant workers to marry uh, Malaysians. Yeah. Right. Nas, what kind of reforms would you propose to the existing policies? I think for me, I feel like if there is more transparency, you know, like. Um, when make it easier for foreign spouse to apply, you know, when they have all their paperwork ready and all that, you know, don't make it more difficult and make it transparent so we know what is what what are the guidelines, you know, what is necessary. And once you have all these documents, it should be okay. Because sometimes now, as I mentioned before, I feel like it depends to them, you know, whether they like you or don't like you, what you say, you know, how you look like. 
what passport you're holding and everything and it makes it like so difficult because sometimes even in our group like we have the whatsapp group that Bina mentioned just now you know like some people with a similar situation uh, can have different experience why is that? right you know so yeah you know just make it more transparent so we know what is what rather than yeah, you are right, Nas. There should be greater clarity and transparency of the bureaucratic processes so that there are no arbitrary interpretations of yeah. policies by officers. And there's also a need to, yeah, there, are, there is a need to treat spouses with respect and dignity, you know, considering that their family status and the policies are family friendly. That, yeah. that should be, you know, clarity should be there. And don't 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 treat like foreign spouse like a I don't know third class fourth class citizen you know like as though they have no value that's not right because you know the country that treat foreign spouse like this it does please understand that will it, it will also affect the marriage yes absolutely and so. Before we go, what can listeners, especially those based in Malaysia, do to help um, and perhaps lend their support to this issue? So, uh, Family Frontiers has a strong presence on social media. We have an FB page. We have we are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. So you can amplify our messages. Uh, you can be more empathetic towards uh, those who are in binational families. Uh, it could happen to your daughter. It could happen to your son. It could happen to your siblings, right? Getting married to uh, someone who is um, not Malaysian. Uh, and uh, there are many good people. There are many good people out there who want to take care of their families. So amplify our messages. Speak out on the issue. Create conversations. Uh, you can, if you are a spouse yourself, reach out to elected representatives. And we have a group called Foreign Spouse Support Group. We are on FB. So if you have uh, any uh, inquiries, you can actually get in touch with us through the inbox if you want uh, privacy. Um, and then we will we actually respond to all the messages over there. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, and right. thank you for having us on your Thanks, Our thanks to Bina and Naz for joining us on this week's episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches. Next week, be sure to tune in to New Narrative's Political Agenda, our podcast series on current affairs in Singapore. This is Deborah wishing all our listeners a great week ahead. Jumpa lagi!